0: that naturopathic podcast tnp hello
1: there hi and thanks for joining us i'm dr carat And i'm
0: dr david miller and we hear your frustrations this show is for you
1: this show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health
0: This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well.
1: This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan.
0: This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together.
1: This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it.
0: And we want you to know it.
1: Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. David Miller. And I'm
1: Dr. Cara Dionisio. And today we're joined by Dr. Tanya Lee. And admittingly, this is a version 2.0 or 3.0. We've had uh, a few... Technical hiccups to say the least with uh, having Tanya join us. But uh, so, welcome again, Tanya. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good. How are you?
2: We're okay. Doing
0: good. We're just happy to be able to talk to you (laughs) and actually have things work this time. But we're also super pumped uh, to talk to you because we're talking about something that's really, really important. And uh, honestly, really difficult to treat, and that's autoimmune diseases. And you've sort of uh, found yourself pulled towards the need to be an expert in autoimmune diseases. And maybe you could just give us a little bit of uh, a short story of how you've sort of been pulled into that, and and what you've learned in the in the time that you've been sort of drawn to that area. Um,
2: yeah. So I started treating autoimmune, you know, just kind of by fluke. I just had a plethora of patients early in my career coming in and uh, what really had me want to delve into um, focusing on autoimmune disease more so was the lack of communication that uh, I found my patients had on what their disease was, what the trajectory looked like in terms of a disease process course, And uh, mainly, you know, diet, lifestyle, all of these things that we typically know affect autoimmune diseases, the symptoms and progression were not being talked about. You know, essentially these patients were told, here are a bunch of immunosuppressants and luck. So my patients would come in looking to see, hey, is there any way that we could optimize, improve quality of life, slow progression? And, you know, looking into the research, there are a lot of, uh, like, just tons of good literature out there that indicates that, you know, diet and lifestyle, environmental factors play a big role on the in the outcome and progression of disease.
0: So do you feel like people are coming to you knowing that these factors are there? Or do they just come to you because they're like, I don't know what to do and I keep getting, uh, you know, sort of... Maybe prednisone, whatever, would know a wheel like prednisone is pretty critical mm-hmm, um, to to relief at some point. But do do people come to you knowing that there's these other things, or do they just come to you and go, "Hey, do your thing." I think
2: um, a few years ago, you know, we've been in practice for about ten years now. Um, a few years ago, I don't think that the information wasn't was there. So at that point, patients were just kind of coming in, being like, "Is this something that you could help me with?" Um, and now, you know, just the, you know, explosion of the internet, um, uh, many patients come into my office already understanding what they'd like to work on. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think nowadays, especially with new patients coming into my office, you know, most of them have already been doing the diet, the dietary record They've already looked at books. They've already looked at never all these different areas that many experts are, are writing books about and writing blogs about. They just don't really know where yeah. to get started. I think yeah. that's a big thing.
0: Well, Kara's right. talked about this. I'll let Kara maybe uh, expand a little bit on it. Uh, but like, I think Kara, you said there was like a huge lag, a long time ago you talked about the lag between what's out there in terms of like evidence for doing certain things in medicine and then implementation.
1: Yeah, I think the well, (laughs) the research says, although it might be out of date too, that um, the leg from clinical research to clinical guidelines, so the time it takes to get from the lab to your doctor's office um, is 17 years. And that's that's too long to wait when you are in pain. Yeah. And I think too, the statistics on autoimmune, and you would probably know these better than I do, Tanya, are pretty staggering that I think- People with autoimmune conditions, they see about five doctors and it takes about five years to even get to that diagnosis, which is a long time to wait.
2: I think that there are a lot of different factors come along with that too. Um, Autoimmune disease typically starts well before the first major flare. And so many patients have told me, you know, for years they haven't been feeling well and having just more generalized symptoms that, you know, either you go see your doctor for they write you a little script for, uh, for that particular symptom, or they'll just say things like, you know, oh, you might be deficient. Oh, this is normal. Well, you're busy. So the issue, I think, with, with regards to diagnosis is if you have your first major flare and have all the markers for autoimmune disease, it's pretty easy to diagnose. Um, And recognized, but the problem is, is that most people don't so textbook when it comes, especially when it comes to things like lupus or some of these um, systemic autoimmune conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, for men and presentations are so difficult too. You know, I have lupus patients who only have stomach pain; that's their only Mm -hmm. symptom, or other patients who have this rash that kind of looks like lupus, but it doesn't really. So they're being sent to numerous dermatologists and no one can really understand what that is. But when it comes down to it, when the other symptoms start showing up, joint pain, you know, other uh, joint pain, digestive issues, you know, sleep issues, energy, then things are being put together. Right. So I think that's another reason why so difficult.
1: Mm -hmm. I was just going to say because medicine like doesn't like messy and we've talked about this in in our last episode as well in that medicine likes we can measure X we can put these symptoms in this box and so it means this and then this is the treatment but um, autoimmune diseases don't present that way so could you maybe just give a, a brief nutshell version to our listeners of what autoimmune diseases are and what they look like and what they include. So in
2: my, uh, the way I like to explain it to my patients is, um, well, first of all, what most patients know of their autoimmune conditions is, is it's an overreaction of the immune system. So you're too inflamed, your body's attacking itself, and that's that. And the only thing that we could really do is put you on a bunch of immunosuppressants and yeah, that's basically what it is. The way I like to explain autoimmune disease is that, yes, it is an overreaction of the immune system, but it comes from an imbalance in the different parts of the immune system, so the you know the pathogenic side where which means you know the disease state is driven by inflammation, but what drives that inflammation? Part of that comes from the deficiency of the accountability centers of our immune system. So we call that, you know, our T regulatory system. And basically, if the T reg system is not functional, or if it's not strong, it's not going to be able to reduce the amount of inflammation caused by the other systems, whether whatever that may be, could be for many different systems, of the immune system. So you Know uh, basically autoimmune disease is an imbalance between these different parts of the immune system. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, maybe you could give us a little bit of an uh, um, example of maybe what um, the T regs are like because that just be like a little mm-hmm. bit abstract. Is it sort of like um, a way of controlling the immune system? Like, if you the way I sometimes explain you know, we, we sort of simplify things a little bit and, you know, there's errors in simplifying too much, but I sometimes simplify immune systems to to sort of like the immune, the immune system being like the military Mm -hmm. and maybe your T-regs are sort of like the military police kind of thing. Like they have to sort of regulate the military so they don't get out of hand. Is there anything?
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah? Is that sort of similar to what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. I also, I also um, tell patients that it's like, they're like parents. So so oh, just say you have a 16-year-old who will to have a party and parents are home. So parents are pretty cool. They allow things to happen, you know, maybe some alcohol and all of such. But I think controlled right. because the parents are there. So if things go out of hand or, you know, the time comes where the party has to end, the parents just say, hey, you guys, we had a good time, but mm-hmm. time to shut it down. So... That's basically, so when you get sick with an infection, that's what your T-regs do. So your T-regs allow your immune system, the inflammatory side of your system to go and fight the virus and basically, you know, kill it off, help you recover, uh, basically not help you recover, but help you fight it off. But then once that infection is gone, then the T-regs come in and say, okay. Your party's over, you guys did what you needed to do, and now it's time to heal, Mm -hmm. right? Without having that accountability from the T-regs, that inflammatory system is just going to keep on going, Mm -hmm. right? So basically, if the parents are not home and the teenagers decide to have a party, who's going to be the one to tell them to shut it down? You know, it's just going to keep on going. Maybe the house gets trashed, you know? Mm -hmm. That's just the way I like to explain Mm -hmm. it. So yeah,
0: I didn't didn't have any parties when my parents were home. So I <laughs> some I cool
2: like... parents do. I, I remember <laughs> having a couple of friends with cool parents that would let us yeah party at their house. So, <laughs> um, so but yeah, so inflammation. Maybe <laughs> you could
0: talk a little bit more about inflammation. I'll I'll throw uh, I'll throw you a little uh, analogy that I use because I use analogies all the time. Uh, kind of it's it's not like it's a horrific bad thing, and you can expand upon it. But I sort of use the um, example of like having a little fireplace home it's good it keeps things warm but mm-hmm. you need to have it in a fireplace and not an inferno burning down yeah. your house
2: yeah you need to keep contained. so inflammation is not technically a bad thing we we talk a lot about you know the difference between acute inflammation and chronic so short term self limiting inflammation that actually makes the body stronger Versus long term chronic inflammation that breaks the body down. So basically, in autoimmune disease, there's no sh- off switch essentially
0: mm-hmm. to
2: the inflammation. So, in many autoimmune diseases, are actually triggered by a virus, right? You hear that, you read that in all the literature, and that it's one of the most mm-hmm. common triggers or start points to an autoimmune disease. The reason for that is because once you start that inflammatory process, so you get infected, your immune system goes into overdrive to get rid of the infection, with the deficiency within the T-reg system, there's no off switch once that virus is gone, right? right. Mm-hmm. So the inflammation basically perpetuates and continues to go and starts reaping havoc on the body, and then that could lead to what we call the autoimmune process. you know it's a spiral. From there, and if you're genetically susceptible to autoimmune disease, you you'd be a high candidate to developing an autoimmune disease after that virus has been caught.
1: Tanya, what are some of the other known triggers that you know? So you've talked about viruses. Um, I know stress is in there, but could you just tell us a little bit about that because that's more of an upstream approach, right? That that we're starting to look at. Um, you know what's causing causing it, and also what's causing flares in the future.
2: Yeah, I believe that uh, triggers are one of the most important aspects to look at, like when it comes to any disease, but particularly any type of immune disease, whether it's autoimmune disease, um, atopic disease, like asthma, allergies. We know that triggers are a huge part of those uh, conditions, in particular. Triggers associated with autoimmune disease um, the typical ones would be um, stress. Stress is a big one. Most patients, especially my actions, um, many of the come in saying that the alopecia started after a period of acute stress. Viral infections are another well-known one. Um, it depends really on the condition. So UV light, exposure to UV light is a big trigger for lupus, whereas vitamin D deficiency is more, you know, so not enough sunlight to some extent would be a trigger for someone with MS. So it really depends on the autoimmune disease, but I would say that... Um, typically, uh, viral infections and stress tend to be universal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another universal trigger that may not be as recognized within the, I guess, conventional community would be dietary triggers and gut health. So digestive health. Yeah. Uh, That being that, I mean, I, I can't even tell you if I've even had one patient come in with an autoimmune disease that didn't have a history of digestive issues
0: stop repeat that it's really important (laughs)
2: yes (laughs) i can't yeah i can't tell you if i even if i even had one patient coming in with autoimmune disease that didn't have a history of digestive problems so you know diarrhea constipation bloating and you know of course again oh these are i've had this since i was a child i've always had a bad gut you know it's totally normal. I have IBS. And, and these are typically, you know, triggers for the autoimmune process because your gut, your intestinal health is so integral to the regulation of your immune system, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, your, intestinal, your intestines after, you know, after your intestines should become the primary site of T-regulatory uh, induction. You know, I'm not sure if I could dumb that one yeah, down. Maybe
0: here. it's like a, a boot camp. Immune system, yeah. more military <laughs> analogies coming from Doctor Dave. Yeah. Sorry, but it's where they get trained, right? And like learn yeah. what to, when to, when to fire, and when not. Yeah, to
2: and fire. if you think about it, the digestive system is the huge conduit towards the environment, like the outside to the inside, right? You know, you're eating things, you're breathing. Most of most of what we get exposed to is what we ingest. It's you external, know, so whether it be. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So. so that's a big trigger in my, in my books. Um, you know, there's some literature on that, um, but it's not textbook. You don't, you won't see that in a lot of, guest um, mm-hmm. guess, lists when they talk about autoimmune triggers, you know, typically it's the more, um, it is the more, I guess, easily identifiable triggers. Yeah. are often focused on. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a really interesting aspect. Um, not to go too much in depth on this, but for women in particular, you know, a lot of, I would say majority of the autoimmune diseases are female dominant. And um, there is actually a lot of literature that uh, talks about the influences of hormones on the immune system. And mm-hmm. that's represented by the fact that certain autoimmune conditions, particularly rheumatoid arthritis and MS get uh, improved during pregnancy. So we could see that there and is worsen a hormonal and connection. Too. Worsen in menopause. Also, women, um, it, like particularly my RA patients, notice pretty big flares right before they get their periods as mm-hmm. well. So, you know, I'm noticing that a lot in my practice and, and accumulating data within that because while literature is there and the theory is there, there's no one really showing that in clinical practice. Mm-hmm. So, and this remember, is where that gap, that stomach that you were talking about, you know, our guidelines versus what we're seeing in, you know, from a research perspective, you know, I think it's really important for practitioners uh, such as ourselves to really record mm-hmm. data. About
1: yeah, this. I was. Um, perhaps. Sorry, Tanya, Um, didn't mean to interrupt you there. I I remember being at a conference, actually, Dave, Dave, we were at this conference together and the speaker was speaking about autoimmune disease. And she basically called autoimmune disease um, that it's becoming a woman's health uh, crisis um, because it is so Mm -hmm. disproportionately, um, you know, pretty, it picks on women so disproportionately um, that it's becoming a, a very big women's health issue.
0: Are they all like that? Like, are all the all the, um, are the uh, autoimmune conditions all like that in uh, terms of male dominant uh, disparity? Yeah, but yeah, sorry, disparity between male and female uh, incidents.
2: Uh, some, uh, m- uh, many of them are. Um, you know, MS, lupus, Hashimoto's. Um, Hashimoto's, rheumatoid arthritis. Alopecia. Um, these are all female alopecia. Right. Uh, I don't know alopecia.
1: And psoriasis, actually. I'm wondering if psoriasis is not quite as unbalanced.
2: It, it, yeah, you're, yes. It's not considered one of the female dominant forms. And, and I would even say that is represented in my, in my practice. Right. Yeah. I would say most of my psoriasis patients are actually men. So, which is really interesting, too. Another um, one, you know, the, the juvenile autoimmune diseases, such as um, type 1 diabetes, yeah. in particular, are also not considered gender-specific, right. because they occurred before pu- puberty, too. So. Um, so yeah, it's it's really interesting to understand the role of hormones and how this influences autoimmune disease. They've actually, I think, there's actually a study happening uh, at the moment um, using progesterone in postpartum women with RA, rheumatoid arthritis, to see if that would reduce the flares that occur after after giving birth.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can just say something, like I have I have a theory or a way of looking at uh, hormones, and that's that they change set points. So set points of maybe on a really nerdy level, depolarization of cells or set points of receptor sensitivity. I'm just going to say that as a theory that I have or like a a group like um, rough idea of what hormones do in some way, and they're all different. I know simplification. You know, I'm gonna get into trouble a little bit. But if 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 I was to say you, autoimmune expert and a hormone expert, that maybe hormones change set points of things. Like, what's your what? Just free flow. What do you think of that idea?
2: I think that there's a merit to that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we. I think that it's represented not just um, within the autoimmune community, but just in general. You know, I believe that when hormones are deficient or are imbalanced, that it makes you more susceptible to other health issues. You know, for example, you know, low progesterone and mental health. You know, how many women do you know with low progesterone or relatively low progesterone who have major mood issues right before their periods? You know, if we were to balance that out, would those moods be less intense right before? Would they be, you know, going from a diagnosis of PMDD to just typical PMS? And the way I look at it from an autoimmune perspective is very similar. You know, if the women, if your hormones are well balanced in relation to each other, would you be experiencing the same level of flares throughout your cycle? You know, we see the cyclical nature of flares happening. Specifically, I, I'm going to just um, quote um, rheumatoid arthritis in particular, just because I see someone's the one I see the most hormonal influence. That's the disease I see the most hormonal fluctuations in terms of symptoms. Um, yeah, so I think that one of my approaches to women in this particular instance would be to look into hormones, to balance out. Or Do you have PMS? Do you have hot period starts? Because, and then I do see improvements in that, in the frequency of flares once we have their hormones balanced. So I definitely believe that hormones can um, influence trigger points set points.
0: Kara, do you have any uh, comment on, on that?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> I look at, um, it, that's an interesting approach of looking at it from set points. I look at hormones as a lens. So um, they're the lens in which your physiology, mental state, physical state are currently kind of, Seeing the world and expressing the world, and that's maybe a more abstract way to describe hormones, but I think in this case when we're looking at autoimmune conditions um you know we have to go back to looking at you know at least with respect to our ovarian hormones, estrogen and progesterone you know their their evolutionary um their their prerogative is to recreate life right, and so they are there to protect um you know, a growing foreign, but awesome, cool baby in your belly um, from your immune system. So the, of course, hormones are going to be able to speak and have quite a lot of influence on your immune system.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's the way I, I, you know, looked at it When when you're having a baby growing inside of your uterus. It's something that's half not you. So I mean, your immune system has to Tone it down a
2: bit. uh, Basically, during pregnancy, the uterine lining is an immunologically intense area. So it's really, really tightly regulated. So basically, it's trying to keep mom and baby safe from foreign pathogens. But at the same time, it's trying not to basically Mm -hmm. reject the baby. So it's a really interesting, and, and that's all influenced by hormones, in particular, progesterone. Um, so I think it's just fascinating the way that hormones and the immune system work together. Um, another interesting fact, I, don't, I think that you guys would really like this one, um, you know, for thyroiditis and, uh, or lupus in particular, before puberty, the female-to-male risk ratio is about 3 to 1. But after puberty, it's nine to one. So there's a huge increase in risk for women after puberty once these hormones are, mm-hmm. are set, your your female hormones. So there's definitely a massive connection between hormones and autoimmune disease. And, and when that's part of my screen when I see women in particular, um, we talk about, you know, their their menstrual health. Like, are you someone who who's suffered from you know, dysmentary or painful periods since puberty, are you someone who suffers from you know very very intense PMS symptoms? You know like these are questions that are actually quite integral in my in my interview process. Do you think
0: think maybe both of you could uh, comment from your uh, on the implications maybe in fertility, from you know from the, those perspectives of uh, immunological balance and hormones?
1: Yeah, there's a really uh, good fertility. There's a really good straight example of that is uh, the rates of uh, women struggling with fertility with celiac disease, right? right. That, that's a very direct. Um, we know that women with celiac disease, or at least undiagnosed celiac disease, um, have quite high rates of fertility. So that's like a very easy example to point at the you know the links there. Mm-hmm. You
0: mean infertility, high rates of infertility?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Uh, um, and and you know um, you know and this may be an obvious but endometriosis is typically a big um, or right. adenomyosis, uh, which is actually considered an autoimmune disease. In certain What's adenomyosis? Um, t- so basically, it's uh, it's like a cross between. It's when endometriosis is within mm-hmm. the muscle of the uterus, so not. So basically, it creates really painful and um, like tons of inflammation in the actual uterus. So um, there's some thought, well, there is it's pretty much um, well recognized that endometriosis is considered an autoimmune disease too. And, and many women who are diagnosed with unexplained infertility or you know, they finally have a biopsy done of the uterus are found to have endometriosis after you know years and years of trying to get pregnant on their um, or failed attempts to get pregnant either through natural means or through IBO. So, and I, I believe that has a lot to do with, again, the, uh, the, the uterine lining, the specialized cells, the immune cells of the uterine lining be, being either imbalanced or pathogenic. And it would be a result of the endometriosis, uh, of the endometriosis or the autoimmune process there. But it's a, uh, it's a difficult one. I don't think that necessarily there's a ton of, confirmed rich on unexplained infertility. Uh, I know that autoimmune disease is always considered in a really difficult case of fertility. And I've actually had patients taking, um, you know, there's this one drug called Nupogen. Have you guys heard of that one before? No. That one, to it, it be very vague and just, uh, it, what it does, it, it influences the immune system at the level of the uterine cell. So by using it, um, basically this drug will help stimulate immune factors that help basically the the embryo. the embryo attach to the urine wall without having the immune system reject it. It's an interesting one. I had one patient who was she had been trying, you know, I would say like seven years trying to get pregnant, and she has a history of endometriosis and all these things. Um and one of her fertility doctors had brought that drug up. It was, you know, the 10th thing that they had recommended. And when I looked it up, I just told her she was nervous about taking it. I told her because looking looking into it and seeing what it did, I thought it was actually a really great thing to try. Very low side effect profile as well. And she was able to get pregnant mm. with it. So working on the level of the immune system could be, you know, in the future, a big part of standard fertility treatments, but I'm not a fertility doc, so I can't, uh, I can't confirm that (laughs) in general, but it's interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. So Tanya, um, we've talked about some really big underlying factors that, you know, NDs are, are very good at digging into, you know, I, I'll have a patient with alopecia and I'll run a get right to talking about their poo and they're like, what? (laughs) Um, but, uh, so we've talked about, you know, the importance of like digging into gut health and, you know, some of the terrain there that's really impacting the immune system and also for hormones. Um, what else, um, cause I want to get to treatments really, um, really soon, but is there anything else that in that investigation phase, which I know is really an important phase, what else are you digging into at that point?
2: Hmm. Mental health is a big aspect that we talk about, um, stress. I always ask my patients about, um, their sleep-wake patterns too, um, Again, this could be another like major tangent, but uh, our our normal sleep patternings or light night day cycles that occur also have a big impact on the immune system. So, what I you know, do you sleep enough? Do you sleep at the same time? Do you wake up at the same time? What are your eating patterns like? All of these influence our patterning throughout the day and throughout the night. And having healthy patterns throughout the day will influence healthy patterns within not just the immune system, but our entire Mm -hmm. bodies. Right. So if someone's super stressed and can't sleep, well, I, you know, that's going to be a big part and contributing factor to, again, disease severity and the way the person feels. Another thing that I really uh, always, you know, identify or or clarify with patients is that, you know, in the long run, I don't claim to cure autoimmune disease. You can't, you know, you can't claim to quit, but, what I my my attempts to help my patients is to improve their quality of life. So whether or not it's improving your quality of life by improving your sleep, by regulating you know helping you regulating hormonal and neurotransmitter factors patterns and having better you know having better eating patterns, all these things, these are all going to help with the progression and with the healing process. So I always ask about lifestyle habits in the long run. I believe that those are actually integral to the success of the treatments that naturopaths can provide for for an autoimmune patient.
0: Yeah, and those little changes day by day can cause the shift, um, like an imperceptible shift that that after a period of time, you know, it looks like remission or they're better, but really, it can be something very, very I, – I, I think people need to know this, that sometimes it's very simple and it's very minimal. Mm-hmm. But it, over time, it can really push the needle in the right way. You may not notice and notice and notice notice for, for maybe months. I'm, I mean, you deal with this all the time, Tanya, so maybe you can say more. But I'm just going from the perspective of little changes over a long period of time can, can make a, a big difference difference and it's that's what's difficult Mm -hmm. sometimes right is you want to get traction with your patients you want them to feel better right away we all Mm -hmm. want it hence the appeal of drugs right take this oh my god i feel amazing Mm -hmm. right but those little imperceptible shifts that are pushing the needle the right way over a long period of time can come from really modest basic things like you're saying like sleep properly Mm -hmm. i mean it seems i mean it seems crazy but maybe you could talk about like the little shifts that ha- happen for a period of time. And, and maybe then when, you know, you don't notice it, but you're getting better. Do you do that a lot?
2: I do. I have everything down. The patient says <laughs> in the first visit because half the time they don't even realize something's better. You know, it's, what about the bloating that you talked about in your first, Oh, Fun. I guess that's better. How forget, yeah, even right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, little things like I have, you know, what's your energy like these days? Oh, I'm scoring at about, you know, a eight out of 10. Well, you said you were about a five out of 10 when I first started seeing you, but there's are subtle shifts in time. I always say like everything worthwhile takes hard work, right? It's easy to be lazy and it's easy to just be on your phone all the time and, and not do any work, you know? Like, so it's, it's the everyday conditioning and patterning that you have to really educate a person to do in order to see those gains, right? But when you do it that way, it's really hard to see turnable black and white changes, especially when we're conditioned in society to take, you know, medication that's going to just right. take the pain away, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, I find that a lot of what I do, especially with my autoimmune patients, a lot of coaching. You know, I mean, I, I definitely delve into herbs and all the really great things that we could offer from a naturopathic standpoint. But what I do is, is really help patients understand how their daily patterns affect their overall health, mm-hmm. and especially when it comes to autoimmune disease, you know. And, and, you know, it could be anywhere. I think balance is the key for anything, you know, feeling relaxed, but also having goals and work hard. Um I think the biggest example that I could give in this are patients who overtrain and work out too much.
0: Yep. Uh-huh. You know they
2: believe this is being a really good thing. I'm going to the gym every day and I'm so sore and I'm like listen, you know going to the gym is fine and it's great to move, but if you're sore and you keep on pushing yourself, if you can't recover from your bad days exercise and you go and exercise while you're sore, you're actually promoting inflammation. And a lot of people don't realize that. So, so there's a, such thing as called overtraining. And, and that comes back to our discussion about, you know, acute inflammation versus chronic. You know, if you work out and you feel sore and you feel like you worked hard and you give your body a couple of days and then you feel great, what you've done is you've built built resistance and you've recovered properly. However, if you work out the next day and you're still really sore, what you're doing is you're starting to promote inflammation to a part of the body that hasn't fully recovered and that could promote chronic inflammation over time, mm-hmm. right?
1: Right.
2: So the I have to tell patients, you know, stop working so much. You know, take a take a chill. Yeah, though, you know? and just on like the, the big picture of
0: seeing a naturopath, I think um, part of the value of seeing a is that we have a background understanding of what is healthy physiology and what is balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I mean, we don't talk about it very much. It doesn't sound very sexy. I, well, maybe it does to some and we like (laughs) them, but you know, it's, it's like having a background understanding of what healthy ish, at least having understanding, like not knowing it's not perfect and having a background understanding of what like healthy function looks like. That's part of the value of, of uh, our training as, as naturopaths and any doctor there, you know, who knows what healthy physiology sort of looks like. Because how do you know um, if you're aiming, like if we wait till the wheels fall off, then okay, you, you know the wheels are falling off. But there's a lot of time where we, you know, we can hear a little something. Maybe there's a, there's a loose on the wheels and we can sort of direct you back to what's, you know, a, a good <laughs> proper functioning wheel sound like do you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, we don't talk about much because we just do it all the time but yeah. I think it's really important for listeners mm-hmm. to understand that uh, you know to be good at diagnosing function problems before they manifest as broken down messes you understand like what a functioning thing looks like
2: yeah I think I think that message uh, and that's definitely um, parallels you know the my message to my patients you know I've refined the That and talk to my auto, specifically autoimmune patients, just with experience. And a big part of it is just letting them know, you know, what are our actual goals here? You know, they may have the intention of being drug free forever, whereas I have to, you know, my goal is to help you with that. But, you know, the body does interesting things. And there's sometimes genetics play a much more uh, significant role in autoimmune disease than perhaps the environment. What we do, what I tell patients is, let's clean everything up in the environment. Things that we know are big triggers, big influencers: system, hormone, digestion, sleep patterns. And then after, you know, I I always tell my autoimmune patients, give me a year to work with you because. you know, at least to see significant improvements uh, because we have to clean all this stuff up, you know, and that takes a lot of time. Like, uh, you know, usually by the third visit, I have, you know, a pretty cemented. And when we talk about it, majority of my patients will say I'm about 70%, even though the expectation is that they're a hundred. And that's okay with me for me, Mm -hmm. because what I'm trying to do is trying to create good set points and, and great, a good, I guess, of uh, um, uh, what it is to be healthy. And, and, you know, to me, what it is to be healthy is, is being healthy majority of the time and then allowing yourself to, have, you, know, you know, a cheat meal a week. But I don't really put into that concept right away. I just say, try to do this 100%. Because if I my expenses are 100%, percent will get that 70% by the third month. Versus, you know, saying to them, "Oh, try your best," and you go shift here and there, sure, and, and then they come back doing you know, about twenty percent, mm-hmm. right? So I think communication is really important, and and, and expectations are really important to set out when when it comes to with any patient with autoimmune diseases. So what are you, what are our expectations uh, for timeline from a goal standpoint, and then looking at symptoms shifting with regards specifically to the autoimmune disease. Like I don't, you know, reducing joint pain from, you know, a hundred percent to 50% within like two sessions is very That's difficult. That's huge though. And right. It, it, it is. I like, I, I would love to meet the person who's able to do that with all their autoimmune patients yeah. because um, oftentimes, at least with my approach, you know, patients don't see major symptomatic improvement within like at least within, uh, I would say six yeah. weeks to three months, you know. But we have tracking symptoms like sleep gets is better, energy's better, digestion's better. So we know that we're on the right track. And don't get me wrong, I've had RA patients that after one thing I give them, they're like, all of a sudden their joint pain's gone and everything's yeah. perfect. I don't. Those are just <laughs> interesting, You know, everyone's so mm-hmm. different. So and if that happens, that's great. But you know, I have a. Uh, that she came to me a few months ago, and uh, I would say she was pretty much like she was in bad shape, you know. And we talked about meds, and she really didn't want to go on the meds. And I'm um, like, okay, well, get, I'm going to give you three, like six weeks to work. I'm going to work with you for six weeks for free to three months if we could see any significant change in your pain, then we will keep on going drug free. You know, this week's came, she was still struggling to walk. You know, she wanted to push it a little bit further. Three months came and I told her, "You, you need to go back to meds. I'm sorry, but I believe in what we're doing and I believe that we're helping, but your disease process has been so, it's too long. I don't know I'm concerned at this point to allow this inflammation to continue working and destroying your joints. So we talked about, you know, the medications that were prescribed, you know, we talked about it with her rheumatologist and they put her on methotrexate with a couple of doses of prednisone to reduce the pain. And, you know, her pain went down 30%, uh, not not 30%, sorry, 70%. And what the best thing about this was, is that she was able to do the things that I had been recommending better because she wasn't plagued by pain every day. Yeah. You know, when you're someone's plagued, it's so hard to go and make the best meals for yourself, go and, you know, exercise, you know, and work those joints. It's very difficult to do a lot of these things. Mentally difficult to go through it too. So, and they're exhausted. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Like you need energy so, to make change. So yeah. And like
1: exactly. And there's a point too. Sorry, sorry, Dave. Go on. I was just going to say there's a point too at which that inflammation becomes destructive and, and you need to stop it yeah. at, at
0: exactly. any
1: cost, right? Exactly. You don't want an RA joint to get further destruction uh, by waiting eight months for diet and lifestyle to kick in
2: exactly yeah. and that's how long that's why you know it does take that long for diet and lifestyle to kick in you think about i always tell patients how long did it take you to get to this point probably a lifetime you know and it's a lifetime you know especially uh, again not to jump around too much but you know another example is the classic person coming into your office being like well i this way all throughout my team my 20s and i was fine And I'm like, well, that's why, (laughs) you know, we don't just wake up with the disease one day. It's a it's a chronic process that happens over years. And the late night pizzas and the drinking, you know, in your college days, yeah, it was fun. And we have all done it, you know. But if you're doing that into your 30s, your body's gonna like you. Yeah, there's lots of
0: stuff happening that you just don't perceive underneath, right? Like, I what's the analogy of bamboo? It grows roots for like ages it's yes. just roots like crazy you don't see anything and then boom it grows like 16 feet in like weeks mm-hmm. and that's you know we, all we perceive is that bamboo coming up above the ground but there's been so much going mm-hmm. on underneath for so long
2: so so yeah so it's a it's the um when it comes to expectations then so for that particular patient with you know who i had recommended going on med have now shifted so now our, ex- our expectations are a to improve the pain even further you know try to get that 30 percent under control prevent further progression of her disease process and basically trying to reduce the need for additional medication Mm-hmm. there are their great goals in the long run, right? Like, totally. I have autoimmune patients in their 80s on like five different types of immunosuppressants at this point, you know? So if I could help a woman in her 40s stay on one for the majority of the rest of her life, I think that that's totally. a big win. That's a win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, these uh, medications are not, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say these medications are not without their major side effects. And it's, we're very well known with it. The committee, not just the community, but even within the medical community, that these medications have very, you know, very bad long-term side effects. So you, the less on, the better off you are. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Go on, Kara. What were you going to say?
1: So I just wanted to say, um, you know, we've talked a lot about some really great kind of setting the foundations. Which really, if you listen to a lot of our podcasts, no matter what the topic is, you know, those foundations are. of getting, of getting there, right. Laying a good gut, good hormones, you know, lots of good nutrients, Mm -hmm. um, you know, reducing stress levels. Um, you know, I want to pause there just to say that the importance of that seems boring. And as David says, not sexy, but that's where the meat is uh, in autoimmune. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. 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 And so just to maybe, wh- where else can we go with things that are maybe a little more sexy, a little bit more kind of direct therapeutic? Are you using herbs or homeopathics or anything else to manage some symptoms or disease processes?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because autoimmune is so vast in terms of the, the symptoms, you know, and I don't have, I would say the foundational treatments that I I implement. So they're all fairly similar across all the autoimmune diseases. However, when it comes to symptom management, I I definitely, it depends on the condition in particular, but uh, um, so, you know, for example, I'd use tons of herbs with autoimmune patients. Um, I do a lot of nutraceuticals. Um, The nutraceuticals, those are things like, you know, uh, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, we have some pretty great literature supporting a n- multiple uh, multiple number of um, autoimmune diseases. So like one of the nutrients I use quite regularly is N-acetylcysteine. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty common <laughs> amino acid. Um, and and basically there's, you know, clinical even um, within the context of lupus and improving fatigue in lupus. The coolest thing about NAC is that it tends to have this regulatory effect on the immune system. So again, boosting Tregs, reducing you know some of the inflammatory factors that could be part of the disease process. And so has been touted, again, not clinically confirmed, but many um, papers cite that it could be a really great addition to a plan in which patients are on multiple medications because it protects the liver and the kidneys. So it's something that I use quite often in practice um, for multiple reasons.
1: I was just going to say that's interesting just to link it back to our previous conversation because NAC is, can be very powerful in endometriosis um, Absolutely. in reducing lesions and then also in mental health, which also has a huge inflammatory component.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. When it comes down to it, you know, like this is an autoimmune talk, but inflammation is just basically the, it's just the, it's like the, the, the start of the fire, right. It's of many different conditions. And, uh, the way I like to put it is that Every disease is rooted, most diseases, I would, I would say almost every disease, if one could argue, is rooted in inflammation. It's your genetics that take you to where that inflammation is going to okay. manifest most. Right.
1: All right, Tanya.
2: So, so NAC is another one. Mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, you uh, keep going. I would love to hear your the rest of your list.
2: Oh yeah. So um and then, you know, we do a lot of work with liver. I do a lot of work liver health, trying to improve uh, function, reducing, reducing toxic load, improving hormones through supporting the liver. Uh, we talked about balancing hormones. So in certain women, I may use, um, you know, natural progesterone or some of the herbs that promote progesterone, uh, um, such as a chase tree. Um, in terms of herbs in particular, there are uh, multiple herbs that have been studied on their effect in autoimmune disease. So, you know, milk thistle, astragalus, berberine, curcumin, these all have literature in terms of being able to regulate, again, the immune balance. So boosting Tregs and at the same time reducing the inflammatory side, the Th1, Th17 side that tends to perpetuate autoimmune disease. So, it's interesting to use. I, there's not a, there aren't very many clinical trials associated with these herbs. They, and if they are, they're coming out of China using Chinese herbs. Um, but in the long run, you know, if they're not, I use a lot of herbs in my practice patients because they were trained as herbalists in naturopathic medicine. So we have the ability to, you know, dose herbs in a way that is safe Well executed, and we know what outcomes we're looking for. And and the beauty of herbs too is that you may be using them for one particular outcome. However, you pick herbs that are going to match the patient, uh, the picture of your patient as well. So you know, milk thistle is really great for RA, but you know, it would also really be great for liver detoxification in an RA patient who may be battling with hormonal, you know, estrogen dominance. Um, toxin load, these things um, that play a role in the autoimmune process too. So that's basically how I pick herbs. And, and, um, and then we can't forget all the, you know, the foundational stuff that we would do probiotics for gut health, glutamine for leaky gut. You know, I could lift, I could probably list off hundred different things that I use on a daily basis.
1: <laughs> and that's where the skill of a practitioner understanding autoimmune disease and understanding the patient in front of them Uh, comes in and in 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 helping navigate that for for their patient
2: Absolutely, especially uh, going back to when I when we first chatted uh, Patients that are, you know going into the internet and finding all this information, you know, they often try to self prescribe at the beginning But many of my patients come in being like I just don't know what to do Like, you know, this says this this says that and now I'm taking about 30 different supplements and I have no
1: idea Exactly. They're on the autoimmune protocol or very, very refined. Yeah. Yeah. Very overwhelmed
2: usually by the amount of being told to do. And so I could just help refine that, you know, you need this, you don't need that, you know, just putting together that pattern, that picture and basically creating your supplement list and your dietary strategies to work with your individual picture.
1: So, Tanya, what would be one takeaway you would like our listeners to leave with? They might be that person who is feeling overwhelmed, um, who has an autoimmune condition. Maybe this is new. Maybe they didn't understand that they, can, uh, they, they have some ways to modify their health. What, what, what do you think is a, a really big takeaway you'd like to leave our listeners with?
2: I think um, for a person suffering from autoimmune disease who needs a start, point that looking at your lifestyle is extremely important and it's the one thing that you could do outside of, of major like naturopathic guidance at this point you know are you eating are you eating a healthy diet full of nutrient dense foods you know veggies um, you know, healthy proteins, you know, like very, you know, n- no refined grains, things like that. These are promoters of uh, refined grains in particular, major promoters of emission is gluten containing products. Um, are you sleeping? You know, half the people don't sleep? Or if they feel like, Oh, I only need four hours of sleep. Good. I'm like, really? I think you've just conditioned your body <laughs> to run off of that. Uh, cause sleep is the time for your body to heal. That's actually the time sleep is the time for immune system to heal and rebalance and re you know re-energize and if you're basically not sleeping you're basically not healing so that's important factors so and sleep is a hard one you know as we as nds we know that you know there's so many there's so many uh, influencers sleep so it's not necessarily the easiest thing to treat but if someone is not sleeping because they're just intentionally staying up too late, or um, yeah, then you know, try to change that. You know, if you have control over your sleep and you can sleep, then sleep more. <laughs> you know, eight hours of sleep is—it's is, not. A, I don't think it's a fallacy. It's really—it's—it's it's a pretty solid time to sleep.
1: For sure. And by the time this airs, we will have had our. Uh... We had Dr. Leah Saunders uh, chat chat about sleep, and so it's great that we can start winding these topics together. Um, I think, you know what, I think it was maybe not fair to try to cover autoimmune disease in uh, under an hour. Um, We could probably talk hormones and autoimmune disease Uh for an hour, so uh, maybe we'll have you back on and we'll cover a more specific topic, but I think that's a really great overview and just highlights you know, really where naturopathic medicine can have such a, you know, at times supportive role and at other times kind of spotlight role in autoimmune conditions. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks Tanya so much for, uh, for, for being our naturopath who's really helping people uh, clinically and then helping us translate that so people understand that the work that you're doing is just uh really really it is the way to go with autoimmune disease you have to do naturopathic type medicine if you're trying to deal with autoimmune disease and you do it so greatly and thanks so much for uh contributing your wisdom and time to us
2: thanks for having me guys
0: that naturopathic podcast
2: (laughs) tnp hello there